want to share something with you today. And my title, if you saw it inside, it's Spaghetti Sauce, Discipleship, and Finding Happiness. I figure if I couldn't get your attention anywhere else, that would get your attention. So one way or the other today, I'm going to feed your soul or make you really hungry. One of the two. I want to read a couple of scriptures for you. They're there in your bulletin. You can follow along on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Behold, I formed you in, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Everybody say that word with me. Individually. And finally, Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. These four verses, I know the verses in Jeremiah were speaking specifically to the prophet Jeremiah and the other was speaking to Israel. But these four verses, and there's many more, there's tons of them actually, but I was trying to pick out several that have a familiar ring to them. Because these four verses speak more to a principle. Uh, I'm not here to say that, you know, a lot of people take Jeremiah 29, 11, and they use it as their kind of key verse, and they, they prophesy it over themselves, and they anoint themselves with oil and claim that verse. I, there's, I don't, you know, that verse was spoken to Israel. I'm not sure the specifics of that, but I think the principles of it apply here. There's principles in God. God... The application has changed, but God has remained the same. Amen? That's why the Bible is still relevant in 2019 and will be relevant in 2100 or 2500 if the Lord tarries that long. Is because the Bible is not about necessarily the application of God, but it's about the principles of God and God doesn't change. And so when we look at these four scriptures, it shows us something about God and how He sees you and I. And when He sees you and I, He doesn't see a mass of humanity, but He truly sees you as an individual. We make the statement, and the Bible does say that God died for the whole world, but I don't believe that God died for the whole world. I believe God died for me. You say, well, that, that sounds like that's just semantics. I don't believe it's semantics at all. Because when I believe God died for the whole world, I feel like one of 7.5 billion. But the Bible says that he died for me. Leaving the 99, going for the one. I believe, according to scripture, and my faith says, that if I was the only one living, he would have still died. Several weeks ago, Brother Jetty was ministering and he used the word dehumanized. I think we sometimes dehumanize ourselves. We make ourselves just a conglomerate or just a piece. But God goes to painstaking uh, detail to tell you that you are unique, that you are an individual. It says in in Corinthians that you're a member of the body individually. And the fact is that God knows the amount of hair that's on your head or therefore the lack of hair that's not on your head. Doesn't take God long to count for Brother Bickley. 
God knows, as silly as it sounds, God knows today when you were brushing your hair, if you lost in your hair. Now, does that mean there's a chart in heaven? No. But that means this, that God cares so much about you that He even cares how many hairs are in your head. To the uniqueness that He got down into the creation where He created uniquely with the fingerprint. He created you uniquely with your own DNA. That's the uniqueness. Now, what does this have to do with discipleship, spaghetti sauce, and finding happiness? There's a man by the name of Howard Moskowitz that most of you probably in here had never heard of. But Howard Moskowitz has had probably a bigger impact on your life than most people that's ever lived. In fact, Howard Moskowitz has drastically changed your life and you don't even realize it. In fact, probably every day or at least every week, you have an interaction with the life-changing work of Howard Moskowitz. Now, who is Howard Moskowitz? Howard Moskowitz graduated from uh, Harvard with a PhD in 1969. He is a... He was, I think he's retired now, I believe. He was a psychophysicist. Psychophysicist sounds like someone who's a... Yeah, exactly, some kind of... But a psychophysicist is a fancy... They, they measure things. They, 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 they measure things and they're into data and all this kind of stuff. So, Howard Moskowitz graduated in 1969 from Harvard University with a PhD and... He started a little consulting company in White Plains, New York, and he was consulting businesses and helping them better their products and better their um, their businesses. In the early 1970s, Pepsi comes to Howard Moskowitz and hires him. At the time, this new product had hit the market called aspartame. And Pepsi was trying to find out how they could use aspartame in their product to create a diet drink. So they came to Howard to help figure out exactly how much aspartame would be needed in a diet drink. They were working at a band of between 8 and 12%. They knew anything below 8% would be not sweet enough, but anything above 12% would be too sweet. And so Howard was hired by... Pepsi to figure out the exact amount needed to make the diet Pepsi. And so, if you and I were with this task, and Howard kind of thought the same way, is that if you're working with a band of between 8 and 12 percent, you've got to find the perfect number, well then what you do is just make up a bunch of Pepsi, and then you just simply vary the amount of aspartame in each one, and so you make a batch at 8.0 8. and 8.1, 8.2, 8.3, 8.4, 8.5, 8.6, 8.7, 8.8, 8.9, 8. all the way up to 12.0. And you make all these up and you bring a bunch of people in and you have them drink it. And then you determine, okay, and you take all the data and you plot it out. And it's obvious that wherever the most is, that's going to be the right amount of aspartame. Sounds pretty simple, right? That's what Howard thought. So he did that. Made up a... Huge batches of Pepsi and he varied the amount of aspartame in each one. 8.0, 8.1, 8.2, 8.3 and he brought in people and they, they tasted it. And he got their 
feedback and he plotted it expecting to get a clear answer. But when he got the data back, he was extremely perplexed because there was no clear determining factor of the exact amount needed. So usually in the food business, what what happened would be that they would just basically kind of pick something in the middle and and say, well, you know, we're looking between 8 and 12, so we'll pick 10. And so for years, food industries would just decide, well, we'll just go for the middle. But this didn't work for Howard. and Howard didn't like the idea with just going for the middle. Why, why just go? We've we got to find what's the, right, what's the right amount. It didn't suffice for him. Why just pick a number because it's in the middle? And so he, 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 he got over that project, and, and he really was starting to just churn over the answer. What's the answer to this? And so one day he was sitting and he was contemplating all this and suddenly he had a eureka moment that changed the world, literally. And he realized we've done this all wrong. We've been looking for the perfect Pepsi when we should be looking for the perfect Pepsis. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but this is revolutionary. This was massive. Not too long after that, Velocic Pickles comes to Howard and asks Howard to help them come up with a better pickle. And he says, you, there, there's no perfect pickle. There's only perfect pickles. And so he determined that not only did they need to make a better version of their current pickle, but then they needed to add more, and that's where we got zesty pickles. But this is not necessarily where Howard made his mark. Howard made his life-changing mark when Campbell Soup came to Howard. Campbell Soup is the owner of Prego. At the time, Prego, this was back 70s and 80s, Prego and Ragu were the two main ones, but Ragu had sort of taken over, and they were the main spaghetti sauce makers. At the time, though, Prego was a better product. Ragu was the most popular, but Prego was a better product. In fact, if you do a side-by-side comparison of the bowls, is that when you would dump the Ragu on top, it would really just run and ooze to the bottom. When you put Prego on top, it would sit on top. This was called adherence. And, and, and Prego had a, had a better, had a better uh, mixture, had a better recipe. It was better quality and it would adhere more to the noodles. And so it was a better product, but nobody bought it. Ragu was at the name of the game. And, and, and so they came to Howard and they said, would you help us figure out what's going on? And Howard said, you got a problem here. He said, there's no such thing as a perfect spaghetti sauce. So he asked them, would you let me do do it my way? They said, sure. So Howard got together with the Campbell Soup Kitchen and created 45 different batches of spaghetti sauce. Varying it any way you can think of spaghetti sauce. Now this was breaking ground because at the time there was only one spaghetti sauce. It was just spaghetti sauce. He does 45 different ones. He varied it from every which way he could think of. Adding things, putting things in, 
mixtures, different wine. And he put all this together and he went on a nationwide tour. He went to New York. He went to Dallas. He went to L.A. He went down south. He went everywhere. And he would bring in people by the truckloads into these big halls. And he'd sit them down for a couple of hours. And he would line them up. Each person would get ten different bowls of spaghetti sauce. And he would bring them in. And for two hours they would eat. And they would rate on a scale of 0 to 100, how they thought about each sauce. He did this, collecting massive amounts of data. He took the data back, and again, it was all over the place, but he started to look at the data and go, okay, is there any way there is any kind of way to interpret this and to mix this together and come up with some kind of pattern? And all of a sudden, he saw it. It jumped out at him. He realized... There are three main categories of the way people like their spaghetti sauce. They like it just traditional. There's people that like it extra flavor or spicy. And then there's people that like chunky. These three. Now, it seems like no big deal to us today. But when they came to Prego and he says, you need to make Flavor and spicy, and you need to make chunky. And they looked at him and said, Are you telling me that people want chunky spaghetti sauce? Because you see, here's what they used to do, right? They used to just bring people in in focus groups. And they would ask people what they wanted in spaghetti sauce. And they would base it off that. But you know what, bottom line, Howard proved that people really don't know what they want. And it was groundbreaking that Howard told Prego that you need to make a line of extra chunky spaghetti sauce. And Prego agreed. And over the next 10 years, Prego made $600 million off of their extra chunky spaghetti sauce line. Eventually, Howard was hired by Ragu. And if you, go into, if you go into the grocery store today, Ragu has almost 40 different combinations of spaghetti sauce. But it didn't stop there. Now there's 15 different types of ketchup, 10 different types of mustard, and 74 different types of this, and 8 types of that, and 42 types of that. Trust me, my wife sends me at the store all the time and says, I need to get you this. And I walk in and say, where's this? And they're like, what kind do you want? I'm like, I don't know. I was told to just get that. They were, we got this and this and this and this and this. And I'm on the phone going, which one of these 16 choices is the right one? All that's thankful to Howard. All that was attributed to Howard Moskowitz because he changed the idea. He changed two major factors in how these companies thought. And that was number one. There's no such thing as a perfect Pepsi. There's only perfect Pepsis. And the other thing he discovered and he proved is that people really don't know what they want and what will make them happy. Now, what does that have to do with discipleship? It has a lot to do with discipleship. Because you know what? For years, we've been trying to make the perfect disciple when Jesus has been trying to make the perfect disciples. 
We've been trying to put everybody into a single mold when Jesus has a mold just for you. There's no such thing as the perfect disciple. That's the problem. And that's where we've gotten off here. Because we have looked at this, but because we're all trying to be like this, when really it's not trying to be like this. It's trying to say, okay, God, what do you want me to become? It doesn't seem like a big thing, but it's massive. Because when I feel like there's a perfect disciple, then therefore I put pressure on myself to become that. But when I realize there's no such thing as a perfect disciple, but only disciples, then it's my job to only become what God's called me to be. You say, well, I'm not really sure about that. Well, got some evidence for you if you want to take a look at it. He chose 12. He did not try to make them into one perfect disciple. He knew every weakness. He knew every strength. And when they were done, they were not one perfect disciple, yet they were perfect 12 disciples. And 11 of them by the time the one jumped ship. What does that have to do with me today? That has to do with everything. Because God's not trying to make you into me. And therefore, I shouldn't try to make you into me either. I should help you become who God's called you to become. That means that you may look different than me. You may not act the same way that I act. You may not do everything like I do it. But that's okay. Woo, 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 woo. Because you know what? In the end, when we stand before God, we're going to have to stand before God as an individual. And we're going to have to stand before God looking at Jesus Christ in the face. And we're not going to be able to say, but I became what they told me to become. He's going to look at you and say, did you become what I wanted you to become? For years, that's what we've been trying to do as a church. We've been trying to make the perfect disciple. And so we have tried to make everything into this. But God's trying to say, wait a minute. I did not call you to be the perfect disciple. But I want a church full of disciples. I want a church full of disciples. I want a church full of people with every problem conceivable. I want people with messed up lives. I want people that have been hurt and abused and misused and this done to and that done to and this in broken homes and messed up homes and all that. That's what I want. Why? Because when someone walks in here, they should not see a person that everybody looks the same, but they should say, you know what? There's a place where everybody is just trying to get to heaven together. I shouldn't say this publicly, but it's not the first time or the last time I should say something stupid publicly. It's exactly. And we're not streaming, so I can always go back and edit the tape. 
I stood back here last week. Brother Charlie was ministering. So for the first time in a little while, I got a chance to just scan without having to be in the spirit. I just was scanning. And I, I, I know, I know is some struggle with it. Okay. But you know, it's, we're all kind of in casual dress. We're, we're not, we're not dressed to the nines and we're just casual dressed and it's varying degrees of casual dress. But I stood right here and I just, I loved it because for the first time I can remember, I scanned a crowd and I did not just see one type of person. I got to be honest with you. I've been a lot of places, a lot of times in, in this church where I scanned the crowd and everyone looked the same. Now, some think that's a good idea and a good thing. I think that's terrible. Because I look at the Bible and I don't see anything that matches up with that. Ooh, I'm stepping all over. I can feel it. Ooh, Jesus, help us. Man. Oh, Jesus. I got to take a drink for a second. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. I said it a couple weeks ago when I talked about, taught about the road to Emmaus, Jesus walking on the path with the road to Emmaus. Is the fact is, God is trying to get us to switch our mentality that everything has got to fit into a box and start to get in the mentality. Let's just let Jesus take people on the journey that He's called them to walk. Yeah, there's some benchmarks along the way. There are benchmarks along the way that everybody's got to pass. No doubt about that. You did not get here from a Petri dish. Everybody in here came out of your mother's womb. We haven't started cloning people. Everybody in here today was birthed somehow, some way. We all came from different mothers, but we were birthed. We've still got to be born again. You've got to be born again. There's nothing in the Bible that gives you a way around being born again. You can be as sincere as the day is long, but you must be born again. The Bible says that. Jesus said it. The disciples said it. You must be born again. Yes, you must be born again. But when you are born again, the journey that God has you on, He's got that journey that's built for you. We're not trying to make the perfect disciple. We're just trying to make disciples. We're not trying to find the perfect Pepsi. There's only perfect Pepsis. We're not trying to feed everyone the same spaghetti sauce. We're trying to say, you know what? It's okay that you don't like traditional. I love traditional. That's the only way to eat spaghetti. You can have your extra spicy and all that stuff. God bless you. But I like traditional spaghetti sauce. How many of you like chunky? Now this is crazy. Hold, hold your hand up because I want to see that. According to the statistics, it should be about one third. Check this out. Did not have this pre-planned. It's almost about one third. Now guess what? 
25 years ago, 30 years ago, all you extra chunky lovers would have never known you like extra chunky. If I'd have asked you what kind of spaghetti sauce you like, you would have said, I like spaghetti sauce. You would have never raised your hand and said, I like extra chunky. Why? Because you didn't even know what you wanted. You didn't even know what you liked. And you see, ultimately, this goes back to finding true happiness. Because you know what? We base our happiness off of what we like and we don't like. But we don't even know what we like and we don't like. And this example of spaghetti sauce proves that there are some things that you don't even know that you're going to like. And so if I ask you today, Brother Cassius, here's a blank check. What do you want to make you happy? You don't even know what to write in the blank of the check to make yourself happy. Because whatever you think will make you happy will not make you happy. That's why you watch people chase things only to come up empty. I could find a new job. I could find a new house. I could find a new car. I could find a better woman. I could find a better man. I could find a better this. I could find a better that. And realize when they get it, it doesn't make them happy. Because you don't know what makes you happy. But you know what? God's in the, into the extra chunky spaghetti sauce world. Because God's got some things that you don't even realize are the key to your happiness. So when you're in control of your life and you're dictating the terms of your life, your chances of true happiness are basically zero. The only hope you have for happiness is to continue to keep chasing piece by piece. Some of you know people like this. I've watched people that worked there. Forgive me for saying this this way, it's not very pastoral, but work their butts off for 30, 40, 50 years to retire. Hoping that retirement, that would be it, can kick back. And they retire, and they're so miserable that they end up going back to work. Seriously. There are people 30, 40 years of working, trying to get to the end. Because I know if I can retire and I can sit home, I'll be happy. And about two weeks of that nonsense, they're like, I'm going back to work. <laughs> Scary. Because you know what? Today, if I ask each one of you what would make you happy, you could attempt to tell me, but there's no guarantee that if you got what you wanted, it would make you happy. And so when we go to God with preconceived terms of what we want, and then God doesn't give us our way, it's not because God doesn't want you to be happy. Because God's not going to give you something He knows is not going to make you happy. So when you're going around with your arms folded and saying, well, God's not doing this and God's not doing that and God's not this and God's not that and He's so mean, it's because you're trying to find happiness your way, not God's way. You know what? I've prayed so many prayers God didn't answer and I thank Him every day He didn't answer those prayers. I'm serious. I'm thankful.
thank Him every day He didn't answer those prayers. Oh God, you know, God, I, I speak. I, you know, you can name it and claim it. I'm, some people have faith to do that, but you no, know, God, I speak this into existence. God, I'm going to speak this by faith and I speak it and I'm speaking it and it doesn't come and I'm like, well, I spoke it and nothing happened. And, and realized later on, thank God you had your ears closed to that, God, and you didn't honor that because my goodness, what it would be a mess. I've watched this play out in my life, in my family, for my wife and I and our, my kids so many times. Not too long ago, it was only last, it was last year, beginning of last year. Those that were, we were leading a small group at the time, they were on the journey with us. And they got to witness it firsthand. My wife and I, two years ago, last, two years ago, July, this July, so it's been two years ago exactly. We had felt like the Lord kind of wanted us possibly to move. We felt like God was wanting us to move from our house. We live in Arnold. Uh, only about a mile and a half, two miles from the Antioch Central. God's moved us this way. 90% of y'all live this way. God's opening doors this direction. We felt like, you know what, God, we really feel like God needs us to move. So we were like, I mean, we were full of faith. I'm going to tell you how crazy this was. I, you got you got this is This is how... This whole journey, I got, it seems like a small deal, but it's a big deal. So we were going to step out on faith. This is how close, this is how much we got. I want to show you some real life living. We went down to, uh, 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 um, oh, it's the Academy, 175. It's right there off, uh, near 32 and Telegraph. Um, it's, um, it's apartment buildings right there. It's Academy forgot the name of the one 175 academy whatever it's called it's a it's an apartment building right across from the uh, the um the the storage place right there just south of 32 on on 175 uh, academy yard i think it's the name of it it's next to the big vacant lot that they're going to put the odington town center or something in something like that yeah so my wife and i were like you know what we're going to build faith because god's going to open the door we're stepping through it so we went over there and we just we were like, we put a security deposit down on an apartment. Seriously. Because we were like, we had like 90 days or something, and we, we could get it back. And, and so we had like a 90. We're like, we're going to step on a faith, you know, because God's going to do this. And guess what? Nine, we put it, we actually put money down, money down. And here's how crazy it was. We're leaving the apartment complex, and I'm walking through the parking lot, and I looked on the ground, and somebody had left an Antioch West flyer on the ground. And I stepped on it. And I thought it was like, oh! I was like, I mean, this is like a voice from God. This could not be any more God. I mean, come on. There's a flyer from Antioch West. I'm like looking for angels and like, I mean, I thought, I mean, I could hear it. It was like a whole thing in my head. Ma! I mean, I was just like floating back to my car. I thought, man, we could not be in more walking with Jesus. How amazing is this? 
So, man, we were like, we're expecting like the next day, you know, somebody's going to call and they're going to say, we're going to take your house. We want you to get out of there. And, man, we're going to do it. God's going to do it. I mean, great things are going to happen. Month one, nothing. Month two, nothing. Month three, nothing. Month four came and we had to give up the security deposit. And I'm thinking, what was the flyer about? Just, I don't get that. What a moment. That's one of those moments you can put in your biography. You know? That's when I'm 75 years old and I'm telling my grandkids, well, you know, when you and your grandmother, we started Antioch West, we were at an apartment complex and there was a flyer. I mean, that was, that was one of those moments. Nothing. Christmas, the holidays came around. We're like, look, we don't want to live like this during the holidays. We don't want to live like this. So we decided, let's take it off the market. We'll reassess in the spring. So took it off the market. February of 2018, I get a call from a real estate agent. She said, I was in your neighborhood, and I noticed, because I, we were selling the house ourselves, and so I had gone online, and I had, bought a real estate sign like you see a house. And so because it was my sign, I just took it and put it in my garage just to store it. Well, my kids must have been outside riding their bike or whatever, but somehow the garage was open, and she called me, and she said, I was in your neighborhood, not, not to be nosy, but I noticed there was a for sale sign in your garage. Are you trying to sell your house? I was like, well, we were. It's not on the market right now. She said, are you interested in selling your house? Yeah, I mean... Sure. She said, even though it's not on the market, would you be willing to, to um, sh- let us see the house? So I asked my wife, I said, what do you think? She goes, well, I mean, let's try it. So she said, sure. A couple of days later, set it up for her to come by. Now, come on, folks. How cool is this? My house is not even on the market. And God sends a real estate agent by. I mean, this is going to be one of those epic stories. Another one from my biography. God sells my house. It wasn't even on the market. How crazy is that? I mean, doors are opening. The windows of heaven are pouring out. I mean, just the blessings of God are amazing. This is what I'm already thinking. To make matters worse. Oh, it gets better. The lady comes in our house. And she loved it. By the next day, I got an offer for full Price what we're asking for. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I'd be like, we, it's just one of the scenes. We went to small group. Those that were there in the small group, they could testify. I mean, we were like, this is the greatest thing. Our house is on the, wasn't on the market. God did this. I mean, it was like, this is going to revolutionize our lives. And to make matters worse, this is what made it worse. The lady that was taking our house or was wanting to buy our house, she was a widow. She had two young boys. They were like 10, 12 years old, maybe 13. She was living in the house that her husband had built. He grew up in the house. They bought it when they got married. They remodeled it. She had lived there. He died from cancer, I believe it was. She had lived there, and she said, I've been contemplating whether or not it was time for us to leave, but we're ready to move on. And when I walked in your house, I knew it was home. Like, what? This is the greatest thing ever. 
So, you know, by that time they knew that I was a pastor. And so, man, by this time, it's like all the stars are aligning. And this woman, I mean, we're going to be a place of healing for her. She's moving on. She's got her house. It's just amazing. Well, didn't end where. That would be a beautiful story. And we could high-five each other because this was awesome. And we're getting to happiness here in a second. And uh, we went through all this, the, the stuff that was needed and all the paperwork, and we're signing all the stuff and getting everything moving. And uh, we had one hurdle left, and that was the appraisal. When I had prayed about putting the house on the market, I believe the Lord gave me a number. It was a number, it was a number that I, the Lord told me that this was the number that I had to have. This was, you cannot take anything less than X dollars. So I knew that was there. Well, make a long story short, the appraisal comes back, and the appraisal was just soul-crushing. The market in our neighborhood was very poor, yada, 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 not to get into all that jazz. This lady, John, wanted my house so bad that she was willing to give me $10,000 out of her own pocket, extra. The real estate agent, some of you don't understand this, and it's kind of crazy, but this is some of you will understand. The real estate agent was willing to cut her commission fee in half and give me the money back. All of that said, adding all that up together, it came to just under $3,000 shorter than the number God gave me. I thought, well, we're close, Jesus. I mean, I mean, it's only three. I mean, what's only $3,000, God? I mean, it's not that big of a deal. We'll just step out in faith. I mean, you want us to do this. So I'm praying, and I could not get any kind of direction I couldn't get a release. I'm thinking, but God, this is what you want us to have. And this is what's going to make us happy. And this is how you want it. And this is it. And this is that. And I couldn't do it. And I told my wife and, you know, and I told her and she's like, she was struggling with it. And we're like, we're struggling with it because on top of that, I mean, it's one thing to make a decision, but I'm trying to tell this poor widow lady that's trying to find healing. Oh, by the way, I'm a pastor, but you can't have this. I'm sorry. You know, go heal somewhere else. That's what I felt like. I know that sounds terrible, but I'm thinking that in my head. I'm like, you can't tell her no. You're a pastor. You've got to, you know, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. That's what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, God, give me a loophole here. Nothing. Man, I'd make one of the hardest phone calls in my life. I'd call the real estate agent up and I said, excuse me, ma'am. I didn't pull the God spoke, spoke to me card. I didn't pull that. Maybe you pulled that. I didn't pull that. I didn't feel like that was the place. I just said, ma'am, I can't do that. I'm telling you what, when I say lost your mind, she lost her mind for 15 minutes. She screamed and yelled and cursed me up one side and down. How could I do this? What was I thinking? You are absolutely making the stupidest thing you could ever What? And I'm just going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. What was I supposed to do? I didn't pull out, well, I'm sorry the Lord said for me 
to do. I didn't pull that card. And I walked away from all that. And in that whole thing, God was teaching me something that was greater than a house. You see a house, but God sees a lesson greater than a house. You see a car, you see a job, you see this. That's all we see, but God doesn't see that. Because you know what? God can snap his finger and move you out of somewhere into something else. God can snap your finger and get you a car. God can snap your finger and get you a woman and get you a man. God didn't have you single to punish you. We're getting living right now. You're not single because God doesn't have somebody out there and you're punishing you and therefore you got to go to every website available to find your man or find your woman. There's only one website you need to go. That's www.onyourknees with Jesus. Because you know what? He knows who you're supposed to have. eHarmony can't answer that. Match.com, Christian Mingle, Farmers Are Us, whatever that one was. In there, what? There's one out there. I'm telling you, there's one out there for farmers. In there, one out there's one out, farmers. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they don't know. But you see, that's what we've been told. We've been told you know what will make you happy, and you know the answers to your life. And the fact of the matter is, you don't know, and you don't know what's going to make you happy. Because you know what? Don't forget there, ladies, that under that shining white armor is a man. And that knight in shining armor is going to take that armor off, and it's going to be a smelly, stinky, hairy man underneath that. And oh, by the way, men, that woman... She's a woman. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, lady. Come on, ladies. Just give me an amen. You know it. Y'all know how to throw the bait out there. Fish on the line. Fish on the line. And we just go swimming upstream. <laughs> Next thing you know, we, you throw us in the boat and we are stuck in the boat. Man, how did that happen? Fish on the line. Fish on the line. We don't know what happened. Because you know what? You don't know. And you know what's really bad is? If I put down extra chunky spaghetti sauce in front of you 40 years ago, you'd have said, what is this? This is not how I eat spaghetti. Take it back. Because of your upbringing or because of what you've always been told or how you always ate spaghetti you'd have said I don't want this because that's not how we eat spaghetti and you would have missed all you extra chunky spaghetti people you'd have missed a whole new world of extra chunky how much stuff is God putting on our plate at Antioch West and we're saying no we can't eat that because we've eaten traditional spaghetti sauce for 30 years we can't do extra chunky hey baby pick up your fork put your fork in the extra chunky and let's see what God will do because you know what in this congregation I hope we have all kinds of spaghetti sauce I hope we got spaghetti sauce, 40 different ragus. Have you been to, have you seen a spaghetti sauce rag? 40 different ones. 
four cheese, three cheese, two cheese, six cheese, nine cheese, 11 cheese, jalapeno. It's all over the place. That four cheese pasta is the good stuff. That's good stuff. If you're not getting fed spiritually, everyone is going out to get Italian today. Some kind of Italian. I should get a cut in all the Italian restaurants in the area. What makes you happy today? Here's the beauty of it all. Jesus said to the crowd that day, he said, take no thought what you should eat, what you should drink. Your Father in heaven knows. Later on, the scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But the thing about that is, the Bible says, we don't even know our hearts, but God himself. Some of you have heard me use this before, and let me use it again here in my closing. In the Gospel of Mark, they brought a young man to Jesus. The young man was deaf and blind, couldn't speak. They brought him to Jesus. And in among the crowd, and I love this story. I've preached this story many times. It's just such a beautiful picture of it. That in among the crowd that Jesus literally takes the young man by the hand and he pulls him over to the side away from everybody. This is a major moment. This is a huge deal that Jesus kind of gets him over to the side away from everybody. What does it mean? That means Jesus made him an individual. Jesus recognized his individuality and exactly what he needed. He did not look at him as a face among the crowd, but he saw him as an individual. That's the beauty about small groups. That's the beauty about small groups that I love so much is that small groups raises the level of the individual because in a normal gathering of this size, you can easily be one of many, but in a small group, you're one of one. Or you should be. Small group leader. And so in this whole thing, Jesus takes them off to the side and, and, and I've often put myself into the shoes of that young man because the Bible didn't say anything was wrong with his brain. And, and it just said that he was deaf and he couldn't, couldn't speak. He was dumb, couldn't speak, couldn't see. So I've often wondered in his mind, he was normal, but couldn't express that. That people dismissed him and people wouldn't say things about him or make assumptions all about him. And he couldn't defend himself because he had no way to tell people. So if you walked up to that young man and you say, young man, what do you want? He had no ability to tell you what he wanted. You ever ask somebody or maybe you've been asked a question and your sincere point, it's not one of those ploys that, you know, that when a husband asks a wife what's wrong, she says nothing. That's just the fact is, you've only asked once, you need to ask several times before I deem you worthy to give the answer. That's not what I'm talking about. But you ever ask somebody, ask you what's wrong, and you know there's something wrong, but you just can't explain it? So someone says, what's wrong with you? And you're like, I don't know. What do you mean what's wrong with you? I I don't know. I know there's something, but I don't know what it is. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Well, you don't want to tell me? I would tell you if I knew. I don't know. Is there something wrong? Yes. What is it? I don't know what it is. 
That's this young man. What's wrong with you? He couldn't say. And I love this. There's several things that took place, and this is where I want to get to because the, here's the application of it. Is that Jesus did something so unique, and you've heard me tell this before, but it's just so unique, that Jesus looked at him, and the Bible says that he sighed. The King James says he sighed. Now, when I hear the word sigh, you hear the word sigh, this is what I think of. <sighs> so when I hear the word sigh in the context of today, I think of it's almost like, oh, another person needs to be healed. Another person with a problem. I don't know if I can do this anymore. <sighs> but that's not what the word side is. The word side in there is almost, it was, it, it's really a groan. It was a groan, an agony groan. Literally, it means that when Jesus looked at him, there was this uncontrollable, oh, in his heart. Why? Because Jesus did not see the outside, but he heard the cry on the inside. And when he heard the cry of the inside, he heard the pain of the inside, he heard the things of the inside, his reaction was to groan. And then Jesus did something so unique, not recommended to be duplicated, but unique to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus reached down and touched his tongue. Not touched in the figurative, touched in the literal I said this before, and I'll say it again. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in church. I've had a lot of crazy stuff done to me in church. But I'm going to let you know right now, just in case, if the Holy Ghost ever tells you to touch my tongue, that'll be the last day you count to ten with your fingers. Because by the time you get done, you're going to either be at nine or nine and a half or eight and a half, because you're going to come in with two, but you're only leaving with one. Because... You don't be touching my tongue because I don't know where your hands have been and I don't know what you've been touching and I don't need that. So I'm not recommending we practice this at Antioch West. But Jesus literally meant put his hand and touched his tongue. But I love what the Bible says the word touch means. The word touch in that context means he set his tongue on fire. That when Jesus touched his tongue, that literally word touch means to set on fire. You know what I love about that is, and there appeared unto them clothing tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they all were filled with the Holy Ghost. The one that comes after me, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Last week, I think it was Brother Trombley that said it, might have been Brother Jenny with us, Brother Trombley, that talked about in the book of James, it talks about the fact that this small member, our tongue. Do you know what the power that we have through the Spirit of God that's in us? This Holy Ghost thing is not just something we experience one time, Brother Mallory, because that's a requirement. But this Holy Ghost thing that's in us, that flows through us, is life-changing. Because you know why? When I don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays through me. And you know what that means? When I don't know what makes me happy, He knows what makes me happy. And sometimes when I am not searching for him to pray in the spirit, I'll pray things in the spirit that I would never pray in English. 
I'll pray things into existence in the spirit I would never pray into existence in English. Because the spirit prays through me. What am I trying to say today? I'm trying to say this. God's not trying to make the perfect disciple. He's trying to make the perfect disciples. That Gina Lamone is trying to make Gina Lamone. Not Joel Wright 2.0. Can I say this? And I say this with all respect. And I say this, and I don't mean this to be condescending. I mean this respect. Don't take it anything else. This is a statement of respect. But for all of you 20-plus year veterans of Antioch that have been around a long time, you know what? God hasn't called you to be a Chesterite. Eighties and nineties. I don't know why I'm saying this. I'm going to say it anyways. Because I believe if he was here, he'd say he would echo the same thing. In eighties and nineties, there was this preconceived idea that everyone was trying to become brother right. You know what? God hasn't called you to become me. God's called you to become who you are. When you stand and you look at the image. You don't look at my image, you look at his image. I'm not trying to become the best version of somebody else. I'm trying to become Jesus in me. But ultimately, on the path to that, does God want you to be happy? Absolutely. God wants you to be happy. This whole idea that you know what? Well, I'm just a poor Christian and I'm just going to, I'm just holding on and, and you got to be sad. Man, this life should be the best life. I said this before. No wonder people don't want what we've got. We don't even want what we got. I'm not joking. It's a sad thing, but it's true. If we were in the marketing business, we would have gone bankrupt by now because we're terrible at marketing this stuff. If Pepsi marketed like the church does, Pepsi would have been out of business. Because everyone would have been like, you know, it's not very good stuff, but you need this Pepsi to stay alive. It's just, ugh. You, here, have a Pepsi. Come to come and have a Pepsi. It doesn't taste very good, but you've got to have it. You need it, or you'll split hell wide open. Nobody's wanting a Pepsi. There's a reason why they put polar bears drinking Coke. There's a reason why Ray Charles said just for the taste of it, Diet Coke. Because why? They're trying to make Coke and Diet Coke and Pepsi and enjoy the experience. You know what? If you're not enjoying Jesus, they're not going to enjoy Jesus. Good. I'm tired of going to church with miserable people. Can I just say what it is? I can stay. I, I, I can go to the mall with miserable people. They're everywhere. I can go a lot of places with miserable people. When I should go to church, I should go to church with people that smiles on their face and happy because you got no problems? No, baby, I got problems. But you know what? I've got a God that's bigger than every problem I got.
doesn't mean I'm ever going to go through stuff. But you know what? Bottom line is this. God wants us to be happy. But he wants happiness his way, not your way. That's the problem. So the choice today is, does God want you to be happy? Absolutely. But you've got to determine what terms you want that happiness on. His terms or your terms. Would you stand? Ooh, I've been a little longer than normal. Extra chunky today. It was extra chunky. If we had it, it would be extra sweaty too. The question today is who is going to determine your life and who the choices you make? Because if you determine the choices of your life, you will chase the happiness train like a dog chases its tail. You will get close, but it will always elude you. And eventually you'll get confused and dizzy and give up because it will always seem like you're so close, but never can get there. But when you stand still and see the glory of the Lord. Because you realize, God, I don't know what would make me happy, but you know. Not my will, but thine be done. We look at that, not my, my will, but thine be done, as some kind of like sad prayer of, oh, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, I'll give up. But it's more like, not my will, but thine be done, because you know what's best for me. You know what's best. Because it kind of be honest with you, and those of you that are older, you can say amen to this. The young folk are trying to figure this out. They'll get it eventually. What made you happy when you were 25 doesn't make you happy when you're 55. <laughs> doesn't make you happy the same way, does it? 25, a rocking chair and an iced tea. Didn't make you happy at 65. Where's my rocking chair and where's my iced tea? That makes you happy. And you know what? When you base your happiness on where you are right now, you'll never be happy because it changes. But you know what? He calls the end from the beginning. So if God puts extra chunky spaghetti sauce in your life, don't push it away. Say, God, I'll do it because this is what you want because I know. And when you bite an extra chunky, you're going to go, man, I can never imagine life without my extra chunky spaghetti sauce. Can never imagine. Why? Because he knows. Father, I love you. I know we talked about spaghetti sauce and all kinds of stuff today, but God, I've spoken what you've given me to speak, challenged us to grow in you, to take a step further, to change the way we think, not to be conformed, but to be transformed. And to be transformed, we have to start being transformed by you. I pray in the name of Jesus today that you would give each one of us the grace that your will would be our goal, that your desire would be our desires, that we would walk in your footsteps, not our own, that we would seek you, not seek ourselves. I speak all these things. Change the way we think, Father. Don't let just... For a moment where, where we just contemplate this or we just simply say a prayer and we go on. But Lord, change us by changing our mind that we can be transformed by changing the way we think. Challenge us today to change our thought. The way we see you, the way we see our lives, the way we see our choices, the way we see others in our lives. Change it today, Father. I speak it in Jesus' name.
Praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of thanks. Praise God. Amen.